Need one more reason why your Safeway store is just better? How about free Cuisinart Classic Cutlery or Elite Flatware? That's right. For every $10 you spend, earn a free stamp saver you can redeem for Cuisinart items. Once you've collected between 30 and 60 stamps, you could start shopping for a variety of Cuisinart Cutlery or Flatware available at the in-store display. Present your items and stamp saver at checkout. It's simple. Spend $10, get your free stamp saver. Start collecting. Safeway, it's just better. Love. You're listening to Holistic Living, brought to you by East West Healing and Performance. And now, here are your hosts, Josh and Jeannie Rubin. What up, everyone? This is Josh and Jeannie Rubin from East West Healing and Performance. For some reason, at the beginning of every show, we have a problem with that little intro that we have, and it's so great, but who cares? Welcome again for a great show. We're going to have Ray Pete on once again, and prior to me doing his intro and talking about the show, of course, I want to tell you a little bit about what we do for those of you who don't know what we do or who we are. Uh, we own a, um, we say a wellness company down in the uh, San Diego area, Carlsbad, California. We work with people that have GI problems, hormone problems, you know, physical problems, a little back pain, things like that, uh, from all over the world. I mean, we get clients as far away as Norway, Israel, Switzerland. So we work with a lot of our clients via Skype, long distance, phone, as well as in person. So check out our website at eastwesthealing.com if you want to learn more about what we do, as well as check out our webpage because there's a lot of great resources on there, websites, articles, YouTube, things like that. And you can get links from our website to our YouTube page, blog, Facebook, all those great things. Stay tuned as well. Our website in the next three months is going to be changing dramatically, so we're really excited about that. We're going to be launching some products and things like that. Definitely stay tuned. So today's show, once again, is we're going to have Ray Pete on. We're going to be talking about basically sugar and really kind of dispelling some of the myths about sugar and really talking about why we need sugar, the types of sugar, and what Ray's thoughts are on sugar. And for those of you that don't know Ray or what he's about, uh, you can visit his website at raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. Ray is, uh, has a Ph.D. in biology from the University of Oregon, and he specializes in physiology. He's taught at many schools uh, from the University of Oregon to different naturopathic schools to other schools down in Mexico. And he started his work um, in regards to hormones such as progesterone and things like that back in the 1960s. So if you want to learn more about him, definitely check out his website. He's got a lot of great articles. They're very in-depth. He does have a lot of good books that you can buy. Uh, they're on back order right now because he's just a little bit, I guess, overwhelmed and inundated by emails. So before we get them on, one thing I wanted to bring up was, once again, I know for a lot of people, they're emailing Ray, and they're emailing Ray. And the thing about Ray is he's a very humble guy from how I know Ray, and he's going to keep basically answering your emails, and he's going to keep doing it. And the problem is, this is the reason why he's put up sending the books, because he's super busy. So I've said before, all this great information, you know, he's kind of a scientist. He's not a nutritionist. And all this information is due to, obviously, being able to do the research. So all I ask, this is not what he asks, this is all I ask, that if you keep emailing him, and he keeps sending you emails back, you can go to his website, you can find his address, and all I'm asking, or all me and Jeannie are asking, is send him, send him some money. I don't care if it's a dollar. I don't care if it's $5, $10, or $500. Just 
please send him something because this great information can't get out unless he can do the research. And the more time you take, essentially for free in a sense, he can't do this research. So please, and I know for a fact people are not doing it because I've talked to people that are just very excited about, oh, they send me back all this information, I'm reading it over, it's a super long email, and then I ask if they sent them anything, and they say no. So please, please send them something. So let me get Ray and Jeannie on. Let me see if I can click them in. I think we're in, Josh. We've been on. Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Are you there, Ray? <laughs> Ray, I don't know if you want to add anything to what Josh was just expressing, and I'm not sure exactly what your thoughts are on that. We just want to make sure that people are respectful of your time and energy. Yeah, I'm um, sending fewer very long answers now that more people are writing. I'm trying to condense my answers. Yeah, but yeah. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that you take the time to do so. I know we've got a lot of people's um, interest sparked as far as what it is you do and um, what you've learned through your research. So, again, we appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people appreciate it, too, because, you know, our listeners on the show and the inquiries we get in regards to your stuff, the buzz buzzes out, and you're definitely making a, a difference. And I know, well, my perception is that's kind of what you want, so it's, it's great stuff. So we definitely appreciate it. So hoping everyone heard that. So um, let's talk about sugar, starches, <laughs> glycemia, all these important things, or I should say, you know, it's it's in our industry. This is probably the one topic that really people are interested in because there's so much out there. Um, so I guess starting out before we get into the nitty-gritty, you know, there's many different types of sugars, and you can kind of touch on that, and I'm sure we'll touch upon it, but... You have so many people out there saying, don't eat sugar. Sugar's in everything. Stay away from it. Cause diabetes. Causes insulin resistance. Creates cancer. And increases ages in the body. You know, you name it. It's bad, 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 bad. And then we look at your research, and it's completely different. Now, of course, we have to talk about the type of sugar. But kind of what got you started on really focusing on starch or sugar or glycemia? Um, one of the things was reading John Yudkin's book, uh, the English guy who wrote a book saying that uh, sugar causes heart disease. And um, he was very um, clear showing that sugar increases cholesterol. And that was back in the time when uh, everyone was saying cholesterol causes heart disease. And uh, I was very impressed by his research. But since I saw cholesterol as a protective factor uh, from studying progesterone. I saw that uh, uh, if you were deficient in progesterone or under stress, your body would increase production of cholesterol to make more progesterone to protect your systems. And so I believed Yudkin was on the right track, but... uh, since I saw cholesterol as protective rather than harmful, I took his evidence to mean that sugar would uh, help resist stress. So that started me along that line. And I had been a migrainer for all my life, and I gradually uh, came to see that uh, a change in my rhythm of eating in relation to activity was usually what brought on a migraine attack. And um, often I I would have a, 
very odd food cravings just before the migraine appeared. And um, even shortly after eating, I would, I would get food cravings. And I started trusting those cravings and uh, eating again. And I found that if I ate enough sweet stuff, like a quart of ice cream, when I felt a migraine coming on, it wouldn't come on. And uh, I I was also a, a sort of a problem sleeper if I stayed up just an hour or two after my normal bedtime, uh, then my sleep would be disturbed even for a couple following nights. And uh, one night I was talking on the radio and the guy wanted to keep going hour after hour. And I had a friend go out and buy me huge milkshakes uh, about one an hour. And I was able to keep talking until 1 a.m. and uh, didn't have any problem at all going to sleep. And so I recognized that I had a peculiar uh, need for uh, sugar when I was uh, doing anything unusually stressful. And so that started me uh, thinking more about the physiology of it. Now, there's you know there's so many myths out there about it that it's it's when I say it, I think we have to start elaborating, I guess, on the types of sugars, you know, monosaccharide, disaccharide, or whether it's a fruit or if we're just talking straight sugar. Um, now, there's so so many myths out there. I guess getting into the physiology, most people don't advocate using carbs slash sugars to actually increase health. I mean, most people out there are like the paleo diet are saying high-protein, low-carb. And all these people say if you want to lose weight, which we know that doesn't mean it's healthy, eat high-protein, low-carb. And you kind of go the other way in a sense. Now, physiologically, what's the, what's the importance of getting the sugars in our body? Um, at one time, I was experimenting with uh, chocolate as a source of magnesium. Uh, and I found that bitter chocolate, like uh, coffee, was extremely high in magnesium and some other nutrients. But uh, chocolate happens to be very high in leucine, and it would give me low blood sugar, and I would crave uh, something to eat very shortly after eating a, a lump of uh, black chocolate. And uh, that started me thinking about the amino acids in relation to blood sugar, and I saw that uh, several of the amino acids in proteins are powerful insulin stimulants. And uh, when you eat protein by itself, uh, you stimulate insulin secretion, which is needed to metabolize the amino acids. But in reaction to the insulin, your liver has to put out uh, glucose to uh, keep your blood sugar going so your brain and blood cells and kidneys and so on can keep working. And uh, if your liver is uh, somewhat low on glycogen, then every time you eat protein and have an insulin secretion, your body secretes a compensating amount of cortisol uh, to uh, bring your blood sugar back up. But the cortisol brings your blood sugar up at the expense of protein. And so partly 
uh, cortisol, the first uh, tissues that cortisol breaks down are your thymus gland and other immune cells and the muscles. And if you eat uh, lots of protein, you, in spite of the high cortisol, you can uh, keep your balance such that uh, you are replacing your muscles and thymus gland, but you are running on a constantly high uh, cortisol uh, secretion. And um, my previous interest in, in diabetes, I had seen that uh, doctors simply neglected to measure hormones that uh, were related to blood sugar when they would prescribe insulin, uh, calling a person a diabetic. They said they needed to take insulin the rest of their life. But uh, having some of these people test their cortisol, uh, we saw that uh, very uh, many of these so-called diabetics just had very high cortisol. And uh, sugar happens to be the best thing for lowering cortisol to normal. And uh, since uh, high cortisol gives the impression of diabetes, causing high blood sugar, uh, you get the uh, unexpected effect of when you eat sugar, you lower the cortisol. And some of these people had a very quick recovery from their so-called diabetes. Now, just I, got, I wrote a couple things down besides the 20-plus questions I have. <clears throat> Talking about cortisol, we'll take a little tangent here. There's so much out there on adrenal fatigue. In my perception over the years, there's a lot of people took Han Celia's work and kind of misperceived what he was putting out in regards to his general adaptation syndrome. Now, you talk about high cortisol and using sugar to actually lower cortisol. What about people that have low cortisol? Is that possible? Or is that just a fluctuation of maybe being um, hypo or hyperglycemic? In Selye's studies, he never talked about adrenal fatigue. Um, right. Exhaustion was his word when you would stress an animal uh, terribly. Uh, first couple of days, it would get ulcers. And if it didn't uh, bleed to death, it, it might adapt. But... Um, uh, if you kept the stress up, uh, you would eventually kill the rat from stress. And uh, he had the, the different phases, the the shock, the adaptation, and the exhaustion phases. And in the exhaustion phase, the animal would die from stress. And uh, he, very early in his studies, found that pregnant animals didn't need their adrenal glands and as soon as they would have a litter, uh, then the next stress would kill them because their progesterone uh, was no longer being produced to compensate for the adrenal uh, absence. And so he gave uh, some animals uh, a daily dose of progesterone uh, af after taking out their adrenal glands and found that they would live a full a normal, healthy life, lacking their adrenals, absolutely. Uh, so the adrenals are there to regulate your your sugar and salt, and it happens that progesterone just as nicely uh, regulates uh, 
sugar and salt metabolism. And to produce these hormones, either progesterone or or the adrenal hormones, um, you need various nutrients, but especially uh, to convert cholesterol into pregnenolone and then the other steroids. The essential factors are thyroid hormone and vitamin A, and those are so closely connected that they travel in the blood on the same protein and are taken up by the steroid uh, synthesizing cells uh, on that protein transported right into the mitochondrion uh, where enzymes uh, use those to um, convert cholesterol uh, into the pregnenolone and the other steroids. So if a person is deficient in vitamin A or thyroid, uh, their uh, cholesterol tends to rise trying to compensate uh, for the deficient uh, ability to produce the adaptive hormones. And uh, so with a, with a thyroid or nutritional deficiency, you, you can be deficient in the steroid hormones. But uh, that's, it isn't the fault of the adrenal glands. Uh, the adrenal glands are extremely adaptive. Uh, when someone wants an animal that can't produce adrenaline, uh, since the, the core of the uh, adrenal gland is where adrenaline is produced, uh, they would scoop out the contents in the adrenal capsule including the cortex, and there would be a layer of uh, adrenal cortical cells left in this capsule, and within just a few days, the adrenal uh, cortex hormones would have regenerated. Uh, So you can basically uh, destroy the adrenals, and if you have a few cells left and have good nutrition and thyroid function, uh, the adrenal cortex will regenerate very well. Right. And I think it's important for everyone to know the reason we're talking about this kind of caveat is because cortisol is a glucocorticoid. It's going to regulate blood sugar, and so many people are doing labs and saying, I need supplements when we need to look at blood sugar. Are we eating the right foods? Are we eating the wrong foods that we can't even break down? Are we eating foods that block sugar from getting in the cell? Um, yeah, uh, that's believe- where... But- uh, that's where fructose and sucrose come in, uh, because okay. fructose is uh, the most powerful sugar at regulating uh, blood sugar both up and down. Uh, it's been used in diabetics for decades uh, as a, a small supplement uh, to help bring down their blood sugar, but it also is effective in hypoglycemia because it... Uh, helps to regulate insulin production and slowly turns into glucose, uh, helping to uh, regulate glucose use, whether you're low or high as the starting point. Can you give some examples for people that are listening and might not know, like where would they get fructose? Oh, uh, health food stores used to sell uh, pure fructose. I don't know if they still do since the the sort of mania about it has started, or the phobia. Uh, but um, it, it's, um, 
I, I think some bakeries use it, um, but I don't recommend it in any of those prepared foods because uh, it's almost always combined with starches, and uh, starches have a very uh, quick ability to turn into glucose, where fructose uh, is a, a, a very slow, controlled converter into glucose, and and so it regulates insulin. I want to take another little caveat because you were talking about insulin earlier and something that a lot of people get confused about and, and it even kind of confused me at the time is in your article you talk about insulin and you talk about how insulin itself has been uh, found to account for only about 8% of the insulin-like activity in the blood with potassium being probably the largest factor. Can you elaborate uh, on that a little bit for everyone? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, several things imitate uh, uh the function of insulin, <clears throat> for example, if a diabetic exercises uh, just whatever the exercise is doing <clears throat> is increasing the cell's ability to take up and use glucose. And uh, the leucine in some foods like chocolate acts like insulin and will um, duplicate the the functions of insulin to uh, let you use your sugar faster. Uh, um, but potassium, in in these uh, studies, they found that potassium itself has that effect, and, and that's probably one of the things involved in exercise uh, insulin-like action. And right. that, since fruits are one of the best sources of potassium, uh, that is another thing that makes uh, fruits a good food. Uh, the besides the usually they have about 50-50 uh, fructose and and glucose. Uh, sucrose molecule is is one uh, half fructose and half glucose. Uh, and besides that balance between glucose and sucrose, uh, the fruits always contain. Uh, a lot of, of potassium and uh, some other minerals. Magnesium is another one that helps to regulate glucose. So when you take, uh, for example, orange juice or grape juice or, or the fruit, um, the high potassium content uh, reduces the amount of insulin you have to secrete to handle those. And that accounts... That accounts for why they're uh, uh, much more smoothly handled than a, a similar number of calories in the form of starch. Right. <clears throat> so, kind of going with that, you know, obviously we know that you're an advocate of sucrose, and we'll talk about the different types, but you're talking about fruit. I guess for the listeners, what types of fruits do you recommend, and which ones do you think, I guess, could hurt us versus help us? Because I know one of your biggest things is. Everyone out there is looking at a, a, you know, what is good for us. But it's kind of your philosophy, and I don't want to speak for you, but it's almost like what actually can hurt us. So maybe talking about some of the fruits that you think are beneficial and why in regards to sucrose, but also some of the fruits that could actually uh, be not beneficial for us. Um, there are um, almost all of the sweet fruits uh, are on balance uh, better than the alternative of 
eating uh, bread and pasta and cereals and such. Um, but among the the sweet fruits, uh, there are uh, some factors that make uh, a choice possible. For example, uh, bananas, unless they're ripened to the point that they're sort of a translucent amber mush, uh, the average way people eat bananas is uh, almost all starch with uh, enough sugar to make them pleasant tasting. But the high starch content is uh, not not an ideal food, uh, not only because it, it has a, a great tendency to stimulate insulin, but also because when you don't eat it with a lot of fat, the starch grains actually can get into your bloodstream. And uh, large starch grains are often bigger than red blood cells, so they clog your small arterioles and uh, cause chronic tissue injury. Um, Gerhard Folkheimer was the person who did that, and some of his articles with very nice uh, photographs, micro photographs of plugged arteries and uh, of the uh, starch grains actually in process of, of being absorbed into the bloodstream and lymph uh, system are on the Internet. Um, besides uh, the starch problem uh, with, with some fruits such as bananas, uh, you have the allergy problem, and I think that's partly because of the um, industrialization of banana farming, uh, use of a lot of chemicals, and and just uh, overuse of the soil uh, stresses the plants. And you've heard of the latex allergy, uh, mm-hmm. probably corresponding to the banana allergy. <laughs> both of those, uh, the rubber trees and the banana plants, are are both highly industrialized, uh, stressed crops, and I think it's the uh, defensive uh, stress substances that the plants evolved to uh, kill insects that were attacking them. Uh, those uh, highly cropped uh, species produce this insecticidal enzyme, which happens to be highly allergenic to humans. Um, and so uh, even ap- apples, uh, uh, some brands of apples have uh, quite a, a high allergen content. And cooking many of the allergenic fruits makes them uh, safer to eat. And the same with the starches. Uh, very well-cooked starchy fruits are much safer than, than the raw fruits. And uh, a third factor in uh, fruits to watch out for is uh, the serotonin content. And bananas, again, excel in their high serotonin content, which uh, uh, has, before uh, people were aware of it, uh, they were diagnosing intestinal tumors when they found high serotonin content in the urine uh, because some tumors produce uh, excess serotonin. And if you eat uh, bananas or um, 
uh, prunes and plums, uh, kiwis. Uh, several types of fruit are high in serotonin, so uh, that's just one factor to be aware of. But uh, starch and allergens are probably generally more important. And pretty much that leaves uh, some things like uh, watermelons and uh, uh, grapes and citrus fruits, oranges in particular. Now, do you, would you put mangoes in the allergy category and the pineapples in the banana serotonin category? Uh, yeah, uh, pineapples <clears throat> are known to have a, a fairly high amount of tryptophan that can contribute to the serotonin. Okay. And um, mangoes, it's, I'm not sure, uh, they're in the same family as poison oak. And yes. in the tropics, uh, after after I had uh, enjoyed about a kilogram of, of mangoes, uh, some people said, oh, didn't you know about mango sickness? <laughs> and uh, it's well known in the tropics, but I, I think it's partly that they are uh, sort of a fibrous uh, fruit, and, and partly if the fiber isn't uh, handled by the right bacteria, uh, it can cause uh, toxin production in the intestine. My next newsletter is, is going to be uh, relating to um, the issue of, of fiber, soluble fiber or anything, any carbohydrate that isn't sugar can potentially feed uh, bacteria that produce uh, toxins and uh, cause systemic stress. Awesome. We look forward to that one. Um, I want to talk about the gut, but talk a little bit more about serotonin. I'm not sure where I read this, and I could have read it incorrectly, but you talk about uh, CO2 and when you talk about hibernation in relation to serotonin, but also um, glucose in the body playing a factor in that. And I don't know if it was if you're having low glucose level, uh, blood sugar levels and you're releasing the cortisol and um, you go into that gluconeogenesis state and you break down your tissues if you have that excess serotonin. Yeah, sure the, uh, but what uh, connection sir, between all that? Uh, serotonin, like endotoxin and histamine, uh, serotonin is a major trigger of the stress adaptation system, and so it turns on the um, hypothalamic uh, protein hormone that turns on the pituitary hormone that turns on the adrenals. Uh, so serotonin works at a very basic level to increase the stress reaction. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, Internet is full of people saying that uh, sugar will raise your serotonin. Uh, but what I think what they're meaning is that you feel good after you eat a bunch of sugar. And uh, feeling good is supposed to mean that your serotonin is up. But actually, uh, it's free fatty acids which uh, cause your brain to take up more tryptophan and make more serotonin. And you produce more free fatty acids when your blood sugar is low and when you're under stress. So um, stress or starvation, hypoglycemia, will 
will make you uh, produce these free fatty acids, which will send serotonin into your brain and trigger the adaptive stress reaction, which uh, brings out the cortisol. So if we're not eating the right foods, we're not getting enough sugar, protein, fat, whatever. We're not storing it, which we should talk about. I mean, there was a question from from a listener that emailed me and wanted to know, you know, if they want to lose weight, isn't it important to actually metabolize, you know, fatty acids and use fat for energy? And you're actually saying the opposite of most people. It's actually harmful. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the dangers of liberating free fatty acids besides the whole serotonin connection? Um, when you're at at rest, uh, the resting muscle is metabolizing a very small amount of of fuel, just uh, just a maintenance amount, but its fuel at rest is fatty acid, and at maximal activity, uh, you are burning almost pure sugar, and uh, so at rest the fat is is being handled by your muscles and uh, not causing any any great rise in in free fatty acids. Uh, the muscles uh, use it just about as fast as it's released. But um, if your uh, liver is is well energized with uh, thyroid hormone, all the nutrients, including adequate sugar, your liver uh, is able to treat any excess free fatty acids produced by stress as any other toxin and uh, your liver can attach glucuronic acid uh, to these fatty acids and excrete them uh, in the urine and bile uh, just as if it was uh, insecticide or something you had eaten. Uh, So a healthy liver, keeping your liver well energized with thyroid and sugar will gradually uh, help you get rid of stored uh, fat. And uh, the um, when you um, exercise on, for example, uh, a low carbohydrate diet, and and start mobilizing more and more of these free fatty acids, uh, some of them uh, at an extreme will turn into uh, ketones, and the ketones are are good, safe energy for your brain and heart, and uh, the it's the free fatty acids that don't turn into ketones which are harmful and the problem with with most of the free fatty acids is that on uh, our current or 20th century diet uh, these our tissues are pretty well f- filled with polyunsaturated fatty acids and these when they're liberated uh, instead of uh, supporting the full uh, high metabolism, they suppress the mitochondrial metabolism by interfering with the thyroid hormone in proportion to how unsaturated they are. And and so as soon as you get stressed enough to um, uh, start eating your own uh, stored fats, these stored fats, if they're polyunsaturated, happen to block the thyroid function and turn your metabolism down. Uh, so you, uh, within two or three days of going on a diet, a person's metabolic rate drops so tremendously 
that at the end of 10 to 14 days, uh, they have lost very little weight, but almost all of that weight is muscle tissue because uh, of the stress produced by the low blood sugar. Uh, when they put people on a moderate low-calorie diet at the, for the same length of time, they find that they lose mostly fat and very little uh, protein tissue. So it's it's the degree of, of the um, free fatty acids being mobilized that suppress your ability to burn calories. Right, and I hope everyone kind of gets that. The bottom line is if you don't take in the right types of sugars, you actually facilitate the stress reaction, which facilitates a catabolic reaction. And if you're storing toxins in your liver or gut, you can't detoxify them. If you have polyunsaturated fatty acids in your tissues and you start breaking down your tissues, you lose weight because you're losing muscle mass, but now you're just perpetuating the stress cycle, which actually will downregulate the immune system of thyroid. So you might, quote, unquote, be losing weight, but you're actually doing it in a very unhealthy way. Um, I want to go back to the fruits a little bit because I know you talk about ripe fruits a lot, and I want you to touch on that for the listeners, but also why, when you talk about oranges or orange juice, why you recommend no pulp. Um, this um, next month's newsletter is going to uh, discuss that, but basically okay. it's it's that um, any pulp uh, is a potential food for bacteria. They did experiments with uh, rats, giving them various kinds of fiber, many of the most popular health food fibers, uh, increased the toxin formation in their intestines, and they found that uh, with fiber added to the diet, fiber that could be fermented by bacteria, the animals became both anxious and aggressive, and uh, just leaving that fermentable fiber out, the animals were friendly and and confident. Um, Do we lose them or? Um, the um, commercial orange juice in the last few years, uh, there have been new technologies developed. Uh, you might have noticed that there's more pulpy orange juice on the market. Uh, I think it was about 15 years ago, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency uh, told the industry that there are mountains of uh, waste from making orange juice were uh, attracting too many uh, insects and other pests, and they had to find a way to dispose of it. And one of the technologies that they used to dispose of it was to dissolve it with enzymes and uh, to to leave a large part of the pulp dissolved in the orange juice. Uh, it, when you squeeze a ripe orange naturally, if you let it stand in a glass in the fridge for a few hours, the bottom will be orange and the top will be clear. But much of the commercial orange juice, the fiber has been chemically altered so that it, it will never settle out. And it's that, it, it's actually a new chemical substance that people have never eaten before. And uh, it, it's like any of the other gums or fibers that uh, can can be intestinal 
toxins. Um, right. It's almost like homogenizing the juice. Yeah, many of these uh, fibers that people were thinking they were eating to protect against colon cancer, uh, some of them actually increase the uh, incidence of, of colon cancer in experimental animals. So now they're using humans to dispose of all the <laughs> all everything instead of throwing it out for the insects, we're just becoming the disposal. That's great. Cool. Yeah, awesome. it's, it's the same same thing that happened in the fish industry. The fish factories, canneries, were um, creating mountains of either uh, land polluting fish waste or or they were dumping it in the oceans and creating messes in the surrounding ocean. And uh, they were told to clean clean up their factories and um, getting rid of the um, the various components of their waste uh, that contributed to the uh, marketing of fish oil. Right. Amazing. Now going back to the thymus, I know at least what I've read, everyone says as we age our thymus shrinks, yada yada yada. And you talk about how I'm not sure what article, and I could be quoting it correctly. How, as we age, your thoughts are because of PUFAs and radiation, all these different things, and because we're be basically not getting the right types of sugars, and we're in this catabolic state. Um, lost my train of thought here. Oh, that we, well, we basically down, we'll, we'll actually shrink the thymus because we're in that stress state, and it's not normal for that to happen. Maybe that's why we're seeing all these autoimmune diseases or people in a weakened state. Uh, yeah, one of the functions of cortisol is to maintain blood sugar, uh, but one of the ways it does that is to block the use of sugar for, for most purposes. It, uh, red cells uh, can keep using it in the presence of cortisol, but uh, immune cells that the thymus consists of mostly uh, can't use sugar in the presence of cortisol, and the uh, presence of cortisol forces them to metabolize fats, and especially unsaturated fats will quickly kill the uh, uh, thymus. And it only takes, I think it's a, about three hours typically for the thymus gland to disappear during profound stress. And so if, if a person is killed really instantly at a, a young age, uh, they'll still have a thymus gland but um, if it takes them a few hours to die, the, the thymus gland disappears, and and that's really uh, part of the uh, the, the uh, reason that they've thought that the the uh, thymus disappears in adulthood because by the time a person is dead, they will have gone through some stress that that melts the thymus gland very quickly, and given. Uh, the right nutrition and hormones, the, the thymus can almost as quickly regenerate itself. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many people are have adrenal fatigue or have an autoimmune disease, and it's it's amazing that people aren't looking at, you know, physiologically what the body's not getting. Um and a lot of the times, like you say, it's, it's people's meals are either fat deficient or protein loaded. A lot of times, carb deficient, meaning the wrong types of carbs or sugars per se. Um, so 
so talking about fruits and things like that, you know, you talk about fruit juices, you've talked about which things to stay away from because serotonin content and the fiber, you know, so people know what fruits to eat. What about vegetables in regards to sugars? What's your thoughts on the different vegetables? I know we've talked about polyunsaturated fatty acids, so I don't want to go tremendous into that, but what about, like, what are some of the vegetables you recommend and why? Um, well, the low-fiber, um, uh, low-starch things, uh, there are a few of them that are called vegetables. For example, uh, small summer squash. Uh, they're actually fruits, but since they are, uh, they they end up more starchy. Uh, they're usually thought of as a vegetable. But uh, hmm. if you eat uh, a tender summer squash with some butter, uh, the small amount of of uh, starch in it. If it's well cooked and eaten with butter, it's very similar to eating fruit. High potassium content, high magnesium. So, would you say that most of the vegetables you recommend are either very close to the ground or even below the ground? Uh, yeah, um, generally the the roots uh, don't have uh, uh, fruits are almost um, designed as food. They're food for the seeds. And so they aren't designed as a as a tissue that has to uh, replace itself. Uh, like the leaves are are part of the energy factory of the plant, and the roots are essential. But they're protected against uh, grazing animals, for example, and so they uh, have antifungal uh, chemicals more than anti-grazing animal chemicals. And so, um, aside from those uh, mild toxins that are mo mostly directed at bacteria and fungus, uh, the, the roots are pretty free of, of uh, the plant defensive toxins. And so, if they're cooked, um, for example, uh, young turnips and young potatoes. Uh, that haven't maximized their starch production uh, eaten with uh, butter after being thoroughly cooked are are pretty safe. And potatoes are, are almost unique among the uh, uh, plant materials. Uh, uh, the liquid part of the potato in between the starch grains happens to have uh, the equivalent of amino acids besides some protein. Uh, these are keto acids, which uh, are, uh, they, they, they can be used as fuel by the brain and, and heart uh, as a substitute for uh, sugar or, or fatty acids. And uh, they're really an ideal uh, anti-stress fuel, but they can also be, just by uh, attaching an ammonia group, they can be turned instantly into the essential amino acids as needed. And so the, uh, apart from the starch, the potato is a very amazing food. And I've seen uh, a few cases of people who had um, basically incurable problems uh, undiagnosed, but they were clearly dying, 
who just juicing a few pounds of potatoes and cooking the juice uh, with a centrifugal juicer, you uh, throw out the uh, starch grains almost completely, and then you uh, cook it just like you were scrambling an egg, and the uh, juice coagulates, so it's sort of like uh, limp mashed potatoes. And uh, this provides both energy and the essential amino acids, but without stimulating uh, insulin or cortisol. Uh, so it's uh, sort of a, an emergency food for almost any stress problem. Uh, R.L. Veach is the famous ketone researcher who uh, his ideas are now being applied to cure Alzheimer's disease because the ketones uh, provide energy that, that the deteriorating brain can't get from either fat or sugar. Um, and so uh, I think uh, potato juice would be a, a fairly economical and safe way to get the, the ketones that Veach has been recommending. When and, using the so potatoes, Ray, would you still suggest using it in a with a carbohydrate and a fat because it would be considered a protein, or would it be used by itself? How exactly would you go about using that as a therapeutic tool for somebody? Um, well, uh, the people that I've known who used it, um, uh, one was a man who hadn't slept for months and uh, had almost no mentality, but... Uh, his sister made him a big bowl of of uh, the cooked juice, and before he finished the bowl, he was asleep. <laughs> uh, uh, simply energized his brain enough that the stress hormones that he had been suffering from for months uh, disappeared. And another one was a girl who couldn't uh, digest anything. Uh, she tried all kinds of food, but she had wasted away to about 65 pounds. Um, every time she would eat normal food, uh, she would burp ammonia. And that was what gave me the idea, because uh, R.L. Veach had uh, used, it, used his synthetic ketones uh, for treating kidney disease patients who um, had a problem of disposing of excess ammonia if they ate proteins. And since I knew that potatoes contained the ketones, I, I made her some juice, and uh, she ate it without burping ammonia and uh, digested it perfectly well. And just a few days of doing that, and she was completely recovered, just went straight up to 130 pounds. Wow. Fascinating. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, there are lots of tropical fruits that contain some, at least, of these same keto acids. But uh, uh, several times over the, the last several years, I've tried to get together the the stuff. Uh, but the chemical companies now <laughs> won't sell even uh, keto acids and uh such things to independent researchers because of the, uh, the the new homeland security laws. Right. 
Let's kind of skip a beat a little. Um, what's your thoughts on honey and maple syrup? Um, honey is um, basically it's almost pure sugar with some minerals, <clears throat> and so it's it's a good good food. Uh, it isn't that much greater than uh, just plain white sugar, but slightly nutritious. <clears throat> and maple syrup is probably chemically it's probably more nutritious than honey has a very high potassium and uh, good magnesium content. Uh, But the problem is that it's heat-treated, boiled down, and uh, very hot oxygen-exposed glucose uh, can make some allergens. So you have to be cautious with uh, any of the uh, dark, concentrated sugars like molasses from cane sugar or um mm-hmm. uh, or the the maguey uh, agave sugar the same thing it's boiled down until it's potentially allergenic now well we brought it up because we have a lot more questions well you brought it up let's talk a little bit about sugar itself you know sucrose which is that disaccharide like the white table sugar the white sugar that everyone says stay away from you know you got people like dr lust was it lustig talks about yeah. the to- toxicity of it, sugar's a bit of truth, I mean, everything bad about it. And then we have you who recommends it for particular reasons. And I think most people are probably listening in for this more than anything. Can you elaborate on what it is, why you recommend it, how you use it, why you feel it doesn't uh, cause diabetes, you know, I guess as much as you want? <laughs> okay. Um, the... Um uh, for about 45 years now, the mechanism of, of um, how diabetes uh, comes to exist has been understood. Uh, it, it was uh, an Argentine who uh, did the first studies uh, that just sort of uh, incidentally showed that uh, it, sugar was actually protective against diabetes, but some Israeli researchers over the last 15 years or so have very clearly shown that it's the polyunsaturated fats. And this was uh, very clearly set up by a man named Randall, and some people refer to it as the Randall cycle, except there's there's no cycle involved. He showed that... uh, as your free fatty acids increase, your ability to use glucose decreases. And uh, that has been seen in hospitalized patients when they give them an intravenous emulsion of, uh, of soy oil, for example. Within 15 minutes, their ability to metabolize glucose has practically disappeared uh, the, the Randall cycle is is the instantaneous uh, diabetogenic effect of the fatty acids. But if you do that chronically, uh, you, you not only block the various tissue cells from using uh, glucose, but you gradually overstress and poison the um, beta cells in the pancreas from being able to keep producing 
uh, uh, insulin. And in uh, some of the studies that I mentioned in in a, a couple of newsletters, they have found that sugar stimulates regeneration of the beta cells in the pancreas. That was back in like the 1940s, right? Uh, well, uh, uh, that that regeneration was just about five years ago, but uh, okay. it was it was um, in the 1940s that the first. Uh, research was showing that sugar was protective. So why do you think there's just so much misconception? I mean, you have all these people saying it's bad. I mean, I have my theories on it, but um, it's a sucrose, so it's glucose or fructose. And, you know, how do you recommend people using it, or do you recommend people using it? And can you actually take too much of it in the body? Uh, yeah, it... Uh the you can produce the toxic effects in the animals that's what so many people are doing giving them 60% of their uh, diet as sucrose or fructose and uh, at that point uh, you can uh, make them fat and uh, get various uh, signs that they interpret it as harmful but uh, a lot of these studies even at the very high levels uh, they're exaggerating, taking things as sign of uh, of harm, which are actually signs of adaptive, uh, corrective functions. That, uh, if you extrapolate from their uh, results that they get in five weeks or ten weeks in animal studies, if you extrapolate the very data that they're publishing, uh, it would look like the animals would have a better outcome at the end of their lifespan if they stayed on the even the high fructose diets. Uh, uh, there, there are a lot of these studies that are, are very clearly uh, designed as propaganda against fructose. And uh, I, I don't have any idea what their motivation is, but uh, you, they're biologically and biochemically irrational and irrelevant. And... Uh, Probably about a hundred people have sent me uh, certain studies. Uh, three or four studies in particular keep keep appearing. Somehow they're circulating on the internet. Uh, and when you look at those studies that are being used as propaganda against fructose, they contain information that suggests uh, even large amounts of fructose might be therapeutic. But uh, they're going back 20 or 30 years. Uh, you see uh, 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 enough research that it's actually defining the mechanism, so you can somewhat judge how much uh, fructose in the diet is safe. For example, there were studies in which they added uh, to a, an, just a standard lab chow mixture. Uh, they would add uh, the ability to drink, uh, say, a 30% sucrose water, a very syrupy solution, uh, or uh, they could choose Coca-Cola plus their lab cow and drink as much as they wanted, or, or um, different percentages, but usually a pretty high percentage of sucrose in the diet. And... These animals 
given, for example, Coca-Cola or the equivalent in sucrose, we're able to eat 50% more food than the animals on just the lab chow without getting fat. In other words, a tremendous increase in their metabolic rate. And uh, that's one of the uh, clues to the protective therapeutic effects of fructose is that it catalyzes your ability to oxidize glucose at a higher rate. And so for a failing heart, for example, or or a, a damaged liver, it works like uh, the active T3 part of the thyroid hormone to uh, increase the production of ATP and uh, get the cell going as a catalyst. And it doesn't really take very much fructose to have that uh, boosting catalytic effect. Uh, so there's, uh, I don't know what the minimum is, but uh, just a very small percentage of your diet can have uh, an extremely beneficial effect. And then there's a middle range where it's still not clear uh, how much is safe. And then the extreme range where you're eating almost nothing but sucrose or fructose, where you uh, do get some uh, degenerative processes. But uh, uh, those are being misrepresented really uh, out of context by so many people. Now, would you say it's not the sugars themselves, but it's our diet that's high in the unsaturated fats that essentially Uh, makes the sugars look bad? Uh, yeah, the, the um, when, when you look at the uh, figures over the last 50 years for the national diet in the United States and a few other countries, uh, a few people are saying that it's the high fructose corn syrup or, or the white sugar or something that's causing these degenerative diseases, diabetes, obesity, and so on. But at the real figures show that... Uh, What's increasing is uh, calories and polyunsaturated fats and starches uh, and actually a slight uh, decrease in the proportion of, of uh, the sugars in, in that total. But the, the uh, calorie uh, consumption has increased, but mostly through starch and polyunsaturated fats. And those are the things that I think are are well established for causing obesity and and uh, a lot of the degenerative diseases. In the case of insulin, it's very clear that it's polyunsaturated fats. Because it blocks sugar from getting in the cell, so it keeps your blood sugar levels high all the time? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's obviously very clear on- considering the amount of sugar that's been taken care of, that how phobic people are to sugar how it's, you know, clearly not make having an influence looking at the numbers, just like you were saying, right? I've always thought that the same. I just never knew how to, just didn't know what it was I was looking at. Um, so it makes perfect sense with the shift in the diet. Uh, yeah, there are, are, are some um, studies that show that the, the toxic effect of these uh, fibers that can cause anxiety, aggression, and bowel cancer, mm-hmm. uh, fats, defend against those processes by probably suppressing bacterial growth. Uh, 
and the best uh, fats at suppressing bacterial and fungal growth in the intestine are the saturated fats, uh, so uh, butter and coconut oil, for example, uh, are protective against the the fibers. So it's important to include some of those in your daily intake. And if you uh, get enough protein, 80 to 100 calories or more, uh, 80 to yeah, 100 grams per day or more. Um, and if you consider the uh, importance of, of fat and the essentiality of, of protein, then that leaves you only a certain amount for carbohydrate. And that, is, that I think, is where the fruit sugar and other sugars are, are a safe bet, um, even if all the rest of your uh, calories are in the form of fruit and other sugars. I think that's safe as long as you're getting your saturated fat and protein. Right. Yeah, I think people need to realize it's all about balance. He's not just saying eat carbohydrates right. by themselves. It's all We always say it's all about the balance of macronutrients, proteins, carbs, and fats, the right type, the right ratios at the right times, but always having them together. Um, one thing I noticed, Ray, is what are your thoughts on, you know, we, we people are storing um, glycogen in our liver. What would cause someone to not be able to store enough glycogen or what would cause the liver's inability to release the glycogen? Um, thyroid deficiency is the most common reason for that. They're, the enzymes are very sensitive to uh, the presence or absence of thyroid. Uh, selenium is needed to activate the thyroid and ultimately uh, the other B vitamins and all the nutrients are needed, but uh, the, the most common problems are low thyroid and low selenium. But to use the selenium to activate the thyroid, you need glucose. And uh, the, the um, fructose happens to be the best stimulant uh, for the liver to store glycogen. Uh, the current uh, phobia people are talking about uh, fructose increasing uh, triglycerides, but before it does that, it powerfully helps the liver to uh, replenish its glycogen stores. And then if you eat uh, too much, you can eat a lot of excess sugar, but since it stimulates your metabolic rate, it takes a big excess before you start uh, converting much of it to the triglycerides. And these triglycerides are then available for storage in your fat tissue. So uh, the, the animal studies show that you can eat lots more calories uh, in the form of sugar uh, before you start storing uh, the triglycerides in your, in your adipose tissue. Now, going on that and talking about the fructose in, in the liver, do you feel that there's a such thing as, you know, having an intolerance to these things? Because there's some people out there that say, oh, when I have fruit, it doesn't matter what I have it with, I just completely crash and I get spacey and I, I can't even have, like, one ounce of juice. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, can we have an, an intolerance to these things or no? Um, yeah, some people who have been uh, low thyroid for a long time have bacteria 
living right up their, the uh, top side of their intestine, right up near the stomach. And some people even uh, uh, get conditions that will support uh, fungal growth in their stomach. And uh, uh, those, um, uh, some usually about uh, two or three people somewhere in the world are in that condition where if they uh, drink uh, juice, they'll get drunk because their stomach is brewing alcohol at a high rate. Uh, uh, but uh, short of that, lots of people have a, a reaction from bacteria high up in the intestine which are competing uh, for their absorptive systems. Uh, the bacteria uh, get the sugar as fast as they do. And usually the bacteria live in the, the lower parts of the intestine and uh, the, the sugar is usually absorbed very quickly in the upper part of the intestine and doesn't reach the bacteria. So if, if someone has has been uh, under stress and low thyroid, uh, they can have that bacterial problem that makes them uh, sensitive to sugars. So how do you work around that? Just introduce things a lot slower or just take um, other... It, it's probably analogous to the lactase, lactose problem. Uh, they talk okay. about a lactase deficiency, but uh, okay. bacterial toxins uh, injure the lining of the intestine. These studies have, I think there was one or two uh, that showed a similar effect with sucrose, but quite a few studies have um, shown that uh, sickness uh, can create the lactase deficiency. Low thyroid, low progesterone, uh, or um, a bacterial infection, uh, those are three of the known factors that affect the intestine's ability to break down lactose. And so uh, you can, besides um, using small amounts of milk, uh, uh, or in the case of the juice-sensitive people, uh, small amounts, uh, you would want to experiment with things that suppress the bacterial growth and uh, replenish your thyroid and progesterone levels uh, so that you can produce the, the proper sucrase and lactase enzymes. Right. And uh, right. that that's one of the things that the fungicidal uh, root vegetables uh, can do. Uh, raw carrot contains its defensive antibiotics that allow it to live in moist uh, soil without rotting. And uh, so if you grate a carrot or, or just eat raw carrots, you're uh, suppressing a lot of these bacteria and fungi that um, will cause food reactions. Uh, another uh, plant that, that grows in dark, moist conditions are the bamboo shoots that um, they're white because they haven't been exposed to the sunlight, and so they're growing in in humid, warm conditions, and they are uh, a good source of uh, antibiotics. 
Yeah, we've talked about it a couple times where it keeps coming up, and I know it's a big topic for a lot of people. And I know your view on it is very different than other people's views out there. And this whole thing on Candida. Now, we know that we actually, you know, have that inhabiting our GI system. It's a symbiotic relationship. And you have a lot of people out there saying, well, if you have a Candida overgrowth, that you need to cut out most all sugars from the diet. Now, what's your take on why do we get the overgrowth? And from what I've read, uh, your belief, I could be speaking wrong, is because we're not getting enough sugar because they feed on sugar. So if they're not getting enough, they're going to overgrow to kind of go elsewhere. It's almost like an immune system reaction. Um, Rene Dubot, who was a bacteriologist mostly, uh, mentioned that uh, he, I think he had some pictures of, of the uh, candida-type yeast, which were starved, and uh, when they're fed sugar, if you have a lot of them in your stomach, you can get drunk on the fermenting sugars, uh, but in the intestine, normally, uh, if they're uh, living far enough up that they even get the sugar, uh, they should be way down uh, in the lower intestine. Your sugar should be absorbed in the upper couple of feet, two or three feet of intestine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, if they do uh, get sugar, uh, the worst they can do is make ethanol. And uh, ethanol in small amounts uh, isn't at all harmful. Uh, And uh, Dubot showed that uh, if you starve these yeasts that are just happily making some ethanol out of the sugar. When they don't get sugar, they start sending out pseudopods or or, uh, pseudohyphae, I think he calls them, which are invasive filaments that will sink into the intestine looking for sugar. And uh, that's the point at which they can actually uh, travel through your intestine and get into your systemic tissues looking for more glucose. So really having sugar in your diet, if you have a, a fair infestation of, ye- of yeast for some reason in your intestine, uh, sugar is a defensive uh, means uh, while you're trying to figure out how to get rid of the um, the yeast which carrots will usually do fairly quickly. Interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, there's so much out there, and I find there's so many people that are doing the quote-unquote fungal diet, and actually it makes it worse. Um, And then we find when they follow a lot of your philosophies, it actually down-regulates it. And I think, of course, the hyperadrenaline, hypocortisol state has a lot to do with it, down-regulating that. Um, just a little caveat. This is a question from a uh, from a uh, listener. What are your thoughts on like stevia and xylitol? All these other, you know, quote unquote sweeteners that everyone pushing are they harmless? Uh, are they harmful? Um, in themselves, I think they're pretty harmless. But the problem is that um, there have been quite a few studies in both humans and animals in which the sweet taste activates your sugar metabolizing systems very powerfully. And uh, one of the consequences is that they tend to increase your appetite and uh, uh, they make you eat 
or want more calories than if you had eaten sugar. And uh, so the, as a, a diet food, they're uh, ineffective. And the fact that they're causing such major changes in things like glucagon and insulin and several of, of the related uh, glucose handling uh, systems, um, it's, they, they haven't been in uh, enough uh, situations that, that people really know what the long-range effects are going to be, uh, that they might contribute to uh, chronic stress, for example, by constantly confusing your system, telling your your glucose regulating systems that you're uh, you're being provided what you need, and then it turns out that you aren't, and so it triggers uh, more of the cortisol to to maintain the blood sugar. You know, one of the things we do notice with people, and this is um, quite common, is when we use, you know, the fruits and veggies, all goes well, people are feeling great. When we start to filter in the sugar and using the sugar syrup, you know, cooking it down in small amounts over time, we're noticing that some people do get acne. What are your thoughts on the acne? Is it because of insulin? Is it because of androgens? Is it a, is it a liver detox issue? Uh, is it a, maybe a vitamin A deficiency? Um, yeah, I think uh, things that activate your skin cause it to uh, produce more moisture and oil and make it uh, more attractive for germs to grow. And vitamin A is essential for several defensive uh, processes, including uh, the immune system. And uh, all of your surfaces become susceptible to infection in a vitamin A deficiency, but uh, especially an increasingly warm, moist, functioning skin uh, needs more vitamin A. Uh, the thyroid, which uses vitamin A to make the steroids, uh, will make your skin moister and oilier uh, under most conditions. And, and so sugar activating your thyroid revs up your ability of, of your skin cells to to produce what they should be producing, except if you're deficient in in vitamin A or, or some other immune factor, uh, then you're going to grow bacteria in your skin. So it's more of an immune system kind of inhibition that's creating it. And what would you yeah. recommend with you make? Would you recommend cutting out the, the the you know sugar itself and using more of the fruits and vegetables until you kind of bring the system up a little bit more? Or because I find with a lot of people this is this is quite common, especially in women. And I'm trying to figure out if it's a, a detox liver issue. You know, adding in the vitamin A, um, it's not really doing the trick. Or should we just cut out the actual sh sugar syrup, use the fruits and vegetables, and then when we bring the body up to more of a homeostatic state, do we add in the sucrose? Uh, well, eggs, eggs and and shellfish and uh, fruits and uh, cheese and milk, all of these uh, are very effective at improving your immune system. And okay. uh, have you ever heard of Emmanuel Cheraskin? He was a a dentist who did nutrition research. In in one of his surveys, he uh, plotted uh, the number of 
symptoms people uh, chronically had against the amount of vitamin A in their diet or supplements. And he found that from a very low vitamin A intake all the way up to 100,000 units a day, the symptoms and complaints decreased very uh, consistently as the vitamin A increased. And I think that's because of um, its role in making the anti-stress hormones and the immune factors. Right, right. And uh, if your thyroid is low, uh, too much vitamin A will suppress your thyroid. They have to be exactly balanced. And so some people who take big doses of vitamin A get symptoms of vitamin A deficiency as well as thyroid deficiency. And the higher your metabolic rate, the more vitamin A you need and can use. So, so there. Sorry, acne is a good indicator that you're doing something out of balance, but it's hard to guess uh, yeah. without blood tests. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now I know you're taking this, but for the listeners, what's your take on insulin resistance? Like, what is what do you feel is creating this? Because everyone says it's sugar. We work with people all over the world, and we start talking about eliminating grains, and we talk, talk about vegetables and fruits and sugars. Everyone's so afraid they're going to get insulin resistance or diabetes and all these things. And what are your thoughts um, on what's creating it? Um, it? It's the polyunsaturated fats very clearly. Um, in, in many of the animal studies, uh, sucrose because of its fructose component, increases the ability to um, dispose of of uh, glucose nicely. So uh, either increasing insulin sensitivity or not affecting it, but uh, uh, still preventing hyperglycemia from eating more, more sugar. Right. And you can instantly demonstrate the effect of polyunsaturated fats blocking the ability to use glucose. And for people that are listening, I only ask that so people can really start thinking outside the box and never believe everything you hear. Really do the research. If you listen to one of our first shows with Ray, if you visit his website and you read his articles on unsaturated fats, it really makes a lot of sense. And then start applying some of the principles to see if it works. And it's a process. Just say because you have a negative symptom doesn't mean you're not moving forward. You know, the healing process and his recommendations, if you can piece them together from the shows and his articles or working with someone, it's an entire healing process, and it takes everything to the next level. It's not just about eating food. It's about eating the right types, ratios, frequencies to meet your metabolic needs and really finding out based off, you know, Achilles reflex or pulse and temp if what you're doing is actually working. Are you pushing yourself thermogenic? Um, so it's it's very important. Um I- I, I think you should uh, usually see a, a good result within an hour or at, at most a day or two when you uh, start avoiding the, the harmful things and getting the yeah. necessary things. It is pretty rapid. I love it. <laughs> your, your enthusiasm, it's just you make a team... So easy, and it probably is. So what would you say if someone does, you know, start increasing their, let's say they start eliminating all the PUFAs, 
they start eating, quote-unquote, according to your philosophy. They're increasing their sugars, and they're finding the balance, but they're still getting a low temperature. Would you say that maybe they've been in such a, uh, a deficient state for so long that it's going to take a little bit longer, or is it maybe their body detoxing from the unsaturated fats, or is maybe what they're doing just off? Um, well, frequent feeding is one of the things that will help to keep uh, from having the up-and-down reaction. Uh, okay. The fatter, fatter a person is, the, the longer it's going to take to uh, get away from those uh, stress reactions every time you forget to eat the right things. And women with a monthly cycle uh, have to keep that in mind, that uh, the, the uh, ability to handle sugar and fat varies with the, the uh, amount of estrogen, thyroid, and progesterone. And so typically women will have a relapse after a couple of weeks when they uh, get into that part of their cycle. So uh, women should should um, think in terms of, of that uh, maybe six weeks before they uh, can get past the the cycle of ups and downs. Now, talking about that, um, you, you've talked about progesterone a little and thyroid in, in its relation to, you know, sugar and its importance. Can you elaborate a little bit on estrogen and how that plays a role in the inflammatory cycle of not getting enough sugar in our body, or the right types of sugar, I should say? Um, it um, Surprisingly, uh, some of the things that are blamed on fructose uh, such as increasing triglycerides, uh, estrogen has been known uh, to to do that. Cortisol is really the the main thing that increases the, uh, uh, the those so-called inappropriate blood lipids. Um, good triglycerides made from sugar or other carbohydrate really aren't harmful. They're just evidence that you're under stress and eating more than you need. And uh, insulin and cortisol are uh, usually the main factors increasing uh, triglycerides. But uh, estrogen tends to uh, interfere with the oxidation of glucose and shifts you uh, to being forced to oxidize polyunsaturated fats. And... uh, tends to give you uh, lower blood sugar problems, at least temporarily, under the influence. And uh, chronically, all of the effects of uh, impaired glucose oxidation and increased reliance on fatty acids. And uh, the oxidative metabolism is uh, disturbed in numerous ways by an excess of, of estrogen. So uh, androgens and progesterone and thyroid are all protective against uh, those effects of estrogen. Now, you're talking about frequent eating, and that's something we really try to get people to do because, A, we see a lot of people actually under-eat calorically, which is, you know, kind of reiterating what we talked about, but when people get sugar cravings, what do you thought on sugar cravings? I mean, is it really just listening to your body and your body saying, hey, I need more sugar in a sense? Um, yeah, sometimes salt will um, 
help with that. Uh, women on their monthly cycle uh, at high estrogen times will typically have uh, either or both sugar and salt cravings. And uh, women avoid the eating uh, salt, for example, because they're told it will cause them to retain water. But it's also a diuretic, so if they overcome that phobia uh, and eat salt just as they crave it, it will usually prevent many of the symptoms of the premenstrual problem of water retention and edema. Uh, the sodium helps to increase your metabolic rate, so you use sugar more efficiently. And uh, so um, when you have a sugar craving, uh, having something both salty and sugary is probably the best. Huh, interesting. Now, can you can you really eat too much sugar? I mean, is it dangerous? It can, can it happen? Or right now, would you say that people are so deficient that it, it can't? It's not really possible. Oh, uh, it, yeah. But your appetite is a pretty good guide. Uh, when you get low blood sugar, if you have a very concentrated form of sugar rather than fruit, uh, if you eat a pound or two of candy, for example, <laughs> you'll probably feel sick. It it probably is injuring your your stomach just by its osmotic concentration, and and uh, it it can cause diarrhea when it uh, disturbs your intestine and stomach enough to. Uh, to overcome the adaptive ability to absorb it and handle it. But uh, the most of the claims of people like Lustig are really based on uh, a lot of mistakes and misleading interpretations. Uh, um, I, I advocate uh, using the fats regularly every time you eat uh it's good to have some some fat and protein at the same time uh, so you uh, I, I think appetite will usually tell a person that that something is wrong if they try to go several hours with nothing but a lot of sugar right it's all about the balance all about the balance yeah, I mean, there's just so much out there. I mean, this is a topic that, you know, it, it kind of it's endless, but, you know, from studying your stuff over the years and incorporating it, it's definitely made a change not only in our life but clients' lives because so many, you know, it's like in, in front of us, so many people are overweight and so many people are staying away from these types of carbohydrates and sugars. And most people advocate staying away from, quote-unquote, sugar to lose weight where you actually advocate staying next to it to lose weight? Uh, yeah. Uh, the um, Stimulating the metabolic rate, different right. studies say that it increases your ability by 25% or 50% to burn calories. And, right. Uh, if you're backing that up with a balance of, of saturated fats and good proteins... Uh, right. It it really is a help for losing weight. But two other factors that uh, help to increase your metabolic rate are the salt and calcium. And that's why I advocate uh, cheese and milk as good proteins because of their high calcium content, which 
helps to raise your body temperature and metabolic rate. Great. Great stuff. So I guess I'm kind of out of questions. If we have any callers that have questions, feel free to call in. I had a lot of people email me questions. Um, I'm not sure if you want to add any anything else, Ray, in regards to sugar, um, the stress reaction, the body hormones. But I think people listening to this, of course, probably listen to it over and over again. And um, if they connect the dots, it all makes sense. And I think my biggest, my recommendation or my perception of Ray's work is you have to really read through it and connect the dots um, because it's not, it's there. You just have to really read through it and start connecting things and making sense of it. And when you do, it's going to be very enlightening. A little brain twisting, but very enlightening. Um, so do you have anything to add, Ray? Uh, no. No. <laughs> I think we covered well, a lot of really great stuff today, and I'm very excited about getting it out there and allowing people a little bit more information because it's, so, it's been a big question for a lot of people, and it's, um, I think it created a... a I'm, Allow for a lot of clarification on the matter. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, it's. Of, I've been thinking of writing an article about fructose and sucrose uh, beyond the the one I did on diabetes or the glycemic yeah, I, index. I think that would be brilliant, Ray. Yeah, I think I've read I that article too. at least twenty times, <laughs> trying to decipher it and break it down. But it's so fascinating because it really is understanding the different types and how the body is able to metabolize and use that energy efficiently. And it's, um, it's clear that the people have gotten very confused at all the different things that they're reading and that are being presented to them as what's right and what's wrong. And this, again, is the way the body works, makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, um, hey, Ray, we have a caller. Do you mind taking a caller? Okay. Let me get them on. Caller from 847, you're on the air. Yes, I'm here. Hello. hello. You're on the yes, air. Hello. Do you have a question for Ray? Question yes, for I have Ray? a question for Miss. Yes, I do. Go for it. Okay, I wanted to ask him. I have problems with drinking milk. That I it creates a lot of mucus. Cow's milk. It's not so much so when I have goat's milk. What I'm wondering is, I still have starch, like in the form of corn. If I stopped all that kind of starch, would I be able to tolerate milk again? Would it not make me mucusy? Um, yeah, if goat's milk is fine, and uh, cheese, if you can get cheeses without additives, uh, they're nutritionally uh, just about as valuable as fresh milk. Uh, but the the starches in in corn and other grains are complex enough that uh, a lot of them won't be digested by human enzymes, and so they feed bacteria. And uh, the type of bacteria that you happen to have will uh, govern the kind of reaction you have to those starches. Uh, so uh, having a, a food like raw carrot uh, in your diet regularly helps uh, if you're going to eat some starches periodically. Uh, carrot helps to... Uh, reduce those allergy effects that cause mucus. 
Does that answer so your that question? I could probably switch back. Oh, I was wondering, so I could probably, I'd like to go back to cow's milk because it's cheaper and it's easier to get. So I'm, I guess that if I had the carrot, then I would be able to go back to cow's milk and get off goat's milk. And sometimes changing the brand, uh, I've noticed that at the same supermarket, uh, one brand of milk uh, will cause digestive irritation, something the cows ate, I think. And if the milk tastes good, I, I find it usually is uh, easiest on my digestion. And some people have told me that the ultra-pasteurized milk that he- was heated to a very high temperature, it- it's a little lower in some nutrients, but people tell me that they can uh, handle that better than fresh milk. And other people uh, react to that, but uh, don't react to fresh milk. So uh, trying switching brands of cow's milk might make a difference. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Ray, you keep mentioning. Um, I have a look, I have a quick question. You keep mentioning the the raw carrot, and I completely understand the purpose of it. Would you recommend eating that by itself, oh, or would you I, recommend eating it along with other sugars? Uh, it contains a little bit of sugar, and that's pretty much the only thing you absorb from it. Uh, if you eat a lot of it and have a low thyroid you might absorb enough carotene to have an antithyroid effect. So you want to look at the palms of your hands occasionally, see that you aren't getting orange calluses. Um, but uh, it prevents the absorption of anything you eat with it or slows it greatly. Uh, so you don't want to eat a, a big plate of carrot salad when you're eating your your main meal because uh, you might have low blood sugar for a couple of hours because it's blocking the nutrients. Okay. we got one more caller. Do you want to take one more caller, Ray? Sure. Caller from 417, you're on the air. Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, I was referred to Dr. Pete a couple months ago by someone. I have actually stage 4 melanoma. And uh, anyway, I've not gone through the traditional orthodox approaches. They really have no hope for what I'm doing. And I changed my diet pretty radically based on what I understood Dr. Pete to teach. And essentially, I guess the question is this. I was instructed to eat potatoes and, and sugar, but balance it with, cream of tartar uh, for the potassium content and uh, to eat the saturated fats, butter and uh, coconut oil and uh, actually rice products, no gluten, etc. And I just wondered if there was anything else, because I know there are people out there who may not have melanoma, but they do have cancer. They know people who do have cancer or people who have immune uh, immune suppressive d- disorders, that if, if that's what a a diet for someone such as myself, that's the most conflicting problem I have is no matter where I turn, they say eat this and then don't eat this. And then I I found Dr. Pete's suggestions very uh, uh, impressive and uh, that um, it makes sense. And so anyway, my biggest struggle right now is what should I eat knowing how critical my, my body condition is that I can't afford to make mistakes from this point forward too much. 
Um, how does your intestine react to things like potatoes? Actually, it, it has responded very well. Uh, I have I have no issues there at all. Just my I've, I've gotten so much weaker. Uh, not since I started what you told me, but I was getting weaker before that. So on a scale of one to ten, I'm probably about a three or so. And I just don't have the energy to do a whole lot of anything. Uh, are you um, getting enough calcium uh, from uh, cheese or milk or something? Probably not. Actually, I was told by a person not to not to take calcium. That uh, they did a urine sediment test or something and said I had too much calcium. But I so no, that's one thing that I am, am low on. I'm probably intake wise. I I really haven't really really eaten except for butter. That's probably <laughs> about it. Uh, the, the parathyroid hormone tends to promote uh, tumor growth and eating plenty of calcium and uh, adequate amounts of vitamin D and vitamin K, K1 and K2, uh, help you handle uh, the calcium. And uh, I think it probably takes 1,500 milligrams a day of calcium anyway to get your parathyroid hormone down into a safe range. Mm. Okay. So... Supplement with I have been taking vitamin D um, at, at least five thousand units a day, and uh, I have eaten a lot of vitamin K from vegetables. Although I've been cautioned not to eat too many of those now, even though that's I I've eaten very nutritiously and healthfully in the last decade. That's what's so surprising, and I I think though that um, maybe I did too much with need uh, seeds and nuts and, and and veggies. I I'm not sure, but uh, for whatever reason, my body gave out. Yeah, I, I think seeds and nuts are are a problem for anyone uh, because of the uh, unsaturated fats in them. Um, and coconut oil, uh, I think refined, odorless uh, coconut oil can be a, a big part of your calorie intake. Uh, some cancer uh, therapies um, have used I think as much as five ounces a day of of uh, refined coconut oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One final, real quick thing here, and that is, I because I I do a lot of research, and that's been kind of my life anyway, and not to your degree, to, but that there is a, um, a a physician in in Ohio who advocates this heavy use of, of fish oil for for cancer therapy and. And uh, and then I uh, found a research paper and, and actually spoke to the physician back in Boston who has done all these studies. I know mice are not the same as humans, but how fish oil had had a profound impact on melanoma in these laboratory re- re- results that they have over the last five years. And so, again, I realize that there are articles that talk about fish oil being detrimental for colon cancer and other things, and then you might find it beneficial here or there. But I, I, I know that wasn't your subject matter today with uh, fish oils. But, again, uh, do you have any impact in terms of how that might uh, be where the, the, the lab mice had profound uh, Im- improvement with uh, fish oil? Yeah, but who funded those labs in the laboratory? That, I mean, that's a huge factor in regards to what they're looking for, in my opinion. Uh, do you use any aspirin? 
Um, I have just started recently taking taking that. I was told that that had an anti-inflammatory impact, so I, I, I just started that. Um, I just heard uh, from someone about a week ago who has uh, he was on the anti-AIDS drugs and getting sick, but he stopped them, and he's now using four and a half grams a day of aspirin, and his blood test showed that all of his... Uh, immune factors that are known to um, promote uh, inflammation and tumor growth, they were all down in the normal range, and aspirin seems to be the basic thing. Um, I've uh, had outbreaks of things that a couple doctors uh, were sure were melanomas, uh, big black growing things, and uh, when I have an outbreak of those, I... Uh, a few times have applied uh, uh, either progesterone or DHEA near them, and uh, they quickly moved away or disappeared or fell off, but basically uh, increasing my thyroid to the point where I'm hypermetabolic will uh, make all of the visible ones uh, dry up and uh, stop growing or eventually fall off. Okay, and, and and so would it, taking desiccated uh, uh, thyroid be a good idea? I, I, no, the uh, what I've always used um, since uh, the original armor stopped being available 20 years ago, I've been using uh, either Cytomel or Sinomel, a Mexican version of Cytomel, which is quick acting, and so you can adjust the dose up and down. So if you get two hypermetabolic and out of breath, uh, you can uh, stop taking it for a few hours and uh, come back to a, a comfortable level. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've seen several people, uh, someone just a, a few weeks ago had a, a mole that was growing and was about two inches long, and within a week when he took big doses of Cytomel, uh, it had disappeared. Wow. Impressive. All right, man, I'm going to take another caller. Yes, I'm going to take another caller. Thank um, you very much. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks for calling in. Ray, we got time for one more. Do you mind taking one more caller? Sure. I meant to ask you this at the beginning of the show. This is a huge caveat. Do you prefer that we we call you Ray or Dr. Pete or what do you prefer? Ray's good. Ray's good. Okay. I just want to make sure, you know, I meant to ask you at the beginning of the show, but I always call you Ray, and it just happened, and, and I know you're a Ph.D., so I want to make sure that if you want to be called doctor, I call you doctor. Yeah, yeah Ph.D.s right, aren't doctors under law. <laughs> I know, I know, but some people, you know. Okay. Caller from the 610, you're on the air. You got a question for Ray? Hi, yeah, uh, my name's Andrew. Um, I have a... Uh, I guess they call it delayed sleep phase syndrome, so I usually can't fall asleep until 4 or 6 a.m., and then I can't wake up until late in the afternoon. And I wonder if that's a problem with adrenaline. Um, The sound is very spotty. All I could hear was a problem with adrenaline. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I have insomnia, so I can't fall asleep until 6 in the morning. Oh, uh, for falling asleep, sometimes a very small dose of uh, thyroid. Uh, One doctor who had been awake for 
two or three days absolutely awake. Uh, I gave him 10 micrograms of cytomel, and the next day he said, that stuff's better than morphine. <laughs> um, but, I've been taking Xeno uh, Plus, and it worked uh, the first day, and then the effect wore off. Uh, yeah, the, the um, uh, sugar is uh, the next best thing. Uh, I, I use a, a glass of sugar with maybe um, two or three tablespoons a glass of of warm milk and uh, three tablespoons of of sugar dissolved in it will usually uh, have an effect similar to the thyroid. Oh, okay. Um, great. I have one quick, one more quick question. Um, I heard that you can use just pure T3 to figure out your the thyroid dose that you need, and then later you can go back and switch that over to a desiccated or to Xenoplus. Uh, yeah, for, to... for a person who's in a hurry, uh, that's a way to uh, to find your total okay. required. So when you're converting the dose, um, how much, how does the T3 convert to the T4 in equivalency? Um, the um, traditional equivalency is 100 micrograms of uh, T4 are equivalent to 25 micrograms of T3 or one grain of traditional armor thyroid. But that really depends on how much sugar is in your diet and uh, how high your cortisol is and several things. So those are just traditional rough estimates and uh, it might be very different for some people. Is there a dose that some people find it works really well, like are people using 30 micrograms or 60? Oh, oh well, uh, the body only produces four micrograms per hour, typically. And so whenever you take more than that, if you're going to take 10 micrograms, it's good to have it with food so you don't absorb so much that your body experiences the excess. Uh, it's good to supplement uh in something like two micrograms per hour on average. So 10 micrograms with lunch will um, spread out for a few hours as you digest. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for calling in. All right, so I think that wraps it up. We're almost out of time here, unless you have anything else to add in there, Ray. I think we covered a lot today. Um, I know I learned a lot. Gonna have to listen to the show another ten times again. Um, anything else to add? I uh, know. Okay. Well, once again, we really appreciate you coming on. I know the listeners uh, really, honestly appreciate not only coming on the show but the work you do, the honesty and modesty that you have, and just the the um, the philosophies that you're putting out there. So we definitely appreciate everything you do. Okay, and thanks for having the show. All right, Ray. Thanks, have a great Ray. Day. Have a great afternoon. Okay. All right, bye. bye-bye. All right, guys, there you go, another show with Ray. Um, keep in mind, I just want to say something. That this, you know, this philosophy, it's not, it's not cookie cutter. It's not take this much of that, this much of this. Eat this fruit and you'll be awesome, or eat this much protein and fat, you're going to be great. Everything is person-dependent. 
And that's the tough part with this because it's not cookie cutter. And you have to keep in mind that, you know, Ray makes it seem so easy, and I'm sure it is, but I know it's it's challenging for a lot of people. And you can't just start eating the foods he recommends and go, oh, this doesn't work. It's all a process of fine-tuning. And that's when this really comes in. At the same time, if you're thinking about buying these supplements or medications he's talking about, they're actually quite useless if your nutrition frequencies, ratios, calories is not in order. You can actually cause more harm. So don't start jumping on the Internet and buying T3. You can actually make things a lot worse and take it and convert it into reverse T3. So make sure you really study his philosophy. You know, go to his website, listen to our radio shows. Um, you can work with people like us. We have clients all over the world. There's other people out there as well that that are, are, are trained in his philosophies. You know, so definitely find someone because it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, a, it's a process, and it's a process of really understanding the body and the foods we're eating and how our body reacts to them and how to adjust based on our metabolic demands. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. We don't have our next show scheduled. I got an email, Ray, thinking about maybe doing it on salt and dairy or something like that. But uh, definitely appreciate everyone tuning in again, supporting us. It really means a lot. And uh, that's about it, guys. I'll see you guys later. Great day. Need one more reason why your Safeway store is just better? How about free Cuisinart Classic Cutlery or Elite Flatware? That's right. For every $10 you spend, earn a free stamp saver you can redeem for Cuisinart items. Once you've collected between 30 and 60 stamps, you could start shopping for a variety of Cuisinart Cutlery or Flatware available at the in-store display. Present your items and stamp saver at checkout. It's simple. Spend $10, get your free stamp saver. Start collecting. Safeway, it's just better.